Lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring, Jesus is coming again. Cheer up your pilgrims, be joyful and sing, Jesus is coming again. This is the voice of prophecy, a voice crying in the wilderness of these modern days. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Coming again, coming again, Jesus is coming again. From our Voice of Prophecy studios in Los Angeles, California, we welcome you to this half hour of inspiration at music with the King's Heralds, Del Delker, Brad Braley, and HMS Richards, the Voice of Prophecy speaker. Seeking the lost, yes, kindly entreating Wanderers on the mountains astray Come unto me, his message repeating Words of the Master speaking today Going afar upon the I would go on missions of mercy, following Christ from day unto day, cheering the faint and raising the fallen, pointing the lost to Jesus the way, going afar upon Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy mercies, for Thy kindness and goodness to us, and for Thy forgiving love. Bless everyone who hears this broadcast today. In Jesus' name. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. Where sin cannot molest Near to the heart of God O oh, Jesus, 
blessed Redeemer. Sent from the heart of God. Hold us who bow before thee. Near to the heart of God. an old song written in 1899 by F.E. Belden. It holds up the perfect pattern for our lives by telling us to look upon Jesus. Look upon Jesus, sinless is he, Father imputed. 
life unto me, my life of scarlet, my sin and woe, cover with his life whiter than snow, cover with his life whiter than snow, fullness of his life then shall I Scarlet, my sin and woe, cover with his life whiter than snow. Reconciled by his death for my sin, justified by his life pure and clean, sanctified by obeying his word, glorified when returneth my Lord, cover with his life whiter than snow, fullness of his life then shall Scarlet, my sin and woe, cover with his life whiter than snow. Here now is H.M.S. Richards, the voice of prophecy speaker. His subject, the seventh man. No man is so far gone in evil, so deep in rebellion against God, but Jesus can help him if he believes, if he repents, if he obeys. Sometimes people say, there's no hope for me. I've gone too far. God will never forgive me. My sin is too terrible. But this isn't true. No man is ever lost just because he sins. He is not lost because his sin is too terrible to be forgiven. If anyone is lost, he will be lost because he would not repent, because he would not return to God. In his solemn warning against the unpardonable sin, Jesus said, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto man. Those were his words, Matthew 12, 31. Notice them carefully. All manner, all kinds of sin shall be forgiven unto men. Let us never, never look toward heaven and say, I could be saved if God would forgive me. If I'm lost, it's God's fault. I'm too great a sinner. I've gone beyond the reach of his forgiveness. Never say that. Listen to these words of divine promise in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we repent, Christ will help us. What right have we to put a limit on what God will do or won't do, can do or cannot do, when he puts no limit on it, as far as he is concerned? The limit is entirely in us. If we confess, he will forgive. One day Christ's disciples were telling him about an accident 
that had recently occurred. Eighteen men had suddenly been killed by the collapse of a great tower. The masonry fell upon them, snuffed out their lives. Immediately the people who saw it, or heard of it, jumped to the conclusion that these eighteen men must have been unusually great sinners. By the way, this unchristian idea is still alive today. Whenever someone has an unexpected accident or is plunged into great suffering or sorrow, there will always be cruel tongues wagging to the effect that he must have been a very wicked person, in spite of the fact that they didn't know about it. He must have kept it covered up well. But now God has discovered it and punished him. What was the reply of Jesus to this cruel accusation in his day? He said, I tell you, nay or no. It's Luke 13, 3. There was no special sin on the part of these men. Jesus made no further explanation of this case. He went into no details. He did not say why the tower had collapsed. Possibly it was through their own negligence in building it. If they were workmen there, maybe they had nothing whatever to do with it, as is the case in many accidents. But Jesus immediately added, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3. That is, unexpectedly, at a time when you're not aware of it, unprepared for it, except ye repent. The plain implication is that if we repent, we shall not perish in the sense that Jesus used the word. And he used it in the same sense in which it is used in that wonderful text that we all know so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This, of course, cannot refer to the death that comes to all of us, good and bad, rich and poor, young and old, believer and unbeliever. To die of some disease or some accident or old age or weakness is not necessarily to perish. Jesus is speaking here about something far more solemn, far more terrible, Notice it is the opposite of everlasting life. Those who believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's our choice, one or the other, to live or perish eternally. God has made full provision for our salvation. He gave his only begotten Son. It's written in another place that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. That being true, we can't blame God if we are lost here or hereafter. Just look at the actual experiences of the men mentioned in the Bible. Look at their lives. Some of them committed outstanding sins, yet they became outstanding saints. Moses was guilty of a capital crime, performed, no doubt, in the line of duty. Even the apostle Paul, before his conversion, sought out the believers and assisted in putting them to death. Time after time, Jesus delivered men who were actually possessed of devils. When they came to him and appealed to him for help, he didn't turn them down. He heard their cry. He helped them. And my friend, he will help you if you wish help. If you come to him sincerely, believing in him, trusting him with all your heart, throwing yourself upon his mercy, Jesus will help you. He will give you back purity of life. He will give you back a clean conscience. He will give you back your manhood, your womanhood. He will make you what you ought to be and what in your heart of hearts you long to be. Come to him in faith, believing, now.
Today the shadows are lengthening. Jesus is being led up to the cross. The soldiers lay hold of him. We hear the sound of the hammers upon the nails as he is fastened there. We look as the cross is lifted up and falls with a cruel thud into the hole prepared for it. And what is this we see? Not one cross, three crosses. Jesus is crucified between two others, between two criminals, yes. As the scripture had predicted 700 years before, he was numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah 53:12. This is the final sarcasm that his enemies fling at him. He's not a great man, just a common thief. This is just a routine execution. In fact, he's the chief criminal. He's crucified in the midst, John 19:18. Thieves are deriding him, cursing him in their agony. The cruel hours creep by, hours of insult, mockery, pain, hours in which our Savior bears increasingly the burden of a world's sin which rolls in dark waves upon him. Suddenly a change takes place in the heart of one of these men crucified by the side of Jesus. He has heard the taunts of the multitude, yet some strange influence seems to warm his heart. Faith begins to grow where before there had been only confusion and evil. He is not ready for eternity, and he is being forced out of the ear of time. He has nothing more to fear from men. They have done their worst for him. He doesn't care what men say now. Why should he? He turns his face as far as he can toward Jesus and says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He calls him Lord when others are spitting upon him, when his own disciples have forsaken him. Lord, remember me. He recognizes him as a king whose kingdom is yet to come. He wants to be remembered then. Then from the bruised lips of the Christ there come those wonderful words of promise today, that is now. You believe upon me now when all have forsaken me and doubted me and denied me. I am dying here between earth and heaven as you are, but you have believed in me. Here and now I promise you that you shall be with me in paradise. Here is a man saved at the eleventh hour. Surely there's hope for you and for me. I think it was Augustine who said that this example of a great sinner saved at the eleventh hour was given so that none of us might ever despair of hope and salvation. But he added that this is the only such case recorded in Scripture so that none might presume upon the mercies of God. Here's a man recognized by human courts as a criminal, Surely he'd made a failure of life, citizen as a man, but Jesus helped him. He threw himself upon the mercy and forgiveness and power of the dying Savior, and he was not refused. Friend, if you will turn to Christ as he did, he will save you too. What could this man do in payment for his salvation? Nothing. He couldn't even represent Jesus to the world. He couldn't witness for him. He couldn't go to church. He could make no gifts. He could do nothing except confess his faith to Jesus, and Jesus accepted him. If Jesus could save him, he can save you, he can save me. Remember, he will never turn away from us, no matter how bruised and defiled we are with evil. One of the most touching incidents recorded of the Prince of Wales, now known as the Duke of Windsor, recorded in Liberty Magazine of October 13, 1934. Fraser Hunt, well-known foreign correspondent, relates it. He says the prince was visiting a small private hospital where 36 hopelessly injured and disfigured veterans of World War I were cared for. 
He stopped at each cot, shook hands with the veteran, spoke words of encouragement. Finally, the head nurse led him to the exit, but before leaving, he said, I understand you have 36 patients. I've seen only 29. He was told the others were hideously disfigured. On learning of this consideration for his feelings, he insisted on seeing them. He was led into the room and bent over every cot long enough to thank each soldier for the sacrifice he'd made. When he had finished, he said to the nurse, I've only seen six men here. Where's the seventh man? She replied that no one was permitted to see him. He was blind, maimed, hideously disfigured, was kept in a room alone from which he would never go alive. Please do not ask to see him, sir, the nurse pleaded, but the prince insisted. Reluctantly, she led him into the darkened room. As the prince approached the bed, his face was white, his lips drawn. In that dim light, he looked down and saw what had once been a man, but now seemed only a horror. Tears came to his eyes. Then impulsively, he bent down and kissed the cheeks that were before him. This was his tribute to the British Empire's 900,000 dead and her million disabled men. We admire the grace on the part of the prince, his sympathy and faithfulness and kindness to the seventh man. But friends, how much greater is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Heaven, who from the holiness of God looked down at our disfigurement and loss, and who emptied himself of his royal glory, and came and actually took our place, became identified with us. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5:21. Friend, are you the seventh man? If you are, Jesus loves you and he will help you. Give your heart to him now, and he will raise you up to a life that never ends.
this is Orville Iverson with this suggestion that you keep looking up, ever going forward in faith. And now, here with a final word for you is H.M.S. Richards, a Seventh-day Adventist minister. Radio friends, we are very anxious to tell you that the voice of prophecy, like every radio program, depends upon its mail for its existence. Your letters mean a lot. Have you written to us lately? Don't forget that we would like to hear from you and know how you are enjoying the program of the Voice of Prophecy. Now, friends, every Thursday morning, the Voice of Prophecy conducts a special prayer service here at headquarters. And we are asking all of our friends everywhere in the world to join us at least in heart, in a Thursday morning prayer service. We call it the Worldwide Prayer Hour of the Voice of Prophecy. You may have your part in it by praying on Thursday. Have faith in God, now as when life began. Have faith in God, He will, He must, He can. Have faith in God, as did the seventh man. Have faith, dear friend, in God. We hope this program has served to give you spiritual strength for the coming week. And now we invite you to join us again next week at this same time for another broadcast brought to you by the voice of prophecy. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace.